last 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome in to the Mass on All Access podcast series recaps, everybody. Your friendly neighborhood host, Bobby Blanco, here. The Nationals are in the middle part of this nine-game homestand. After they swept the Orioles over the weekend, they have three games against Sean Doolittle and the Reds. Entering this series, the Nationals were 20-23 and on the season, just two games out of first place in the division behind the New York Mets. So another great opportunity to gain some ground against a sub-500 team with a terrible pitching staff. Let's break it down. The pregame festivities before Game 1, of course, surrounded Sean Doolittle. Before the game, he took a tour of the new Champions Club at Nationals Park, where they hold the Commissioner's Trophy and added a new mural, which Sean is the focal point of, of him jumping up and joy on the mound at Dodger Stadium after recording the last out of that Game 5 2019 NLDS series win. Uh, Then on the field, the Nationals played a nice tribute video of him and Daniel Hudson, Ryan Zimmerman, and Davey Martinez presented him with gifts of framed pictures and a signed jersey from all of his former Nationals teammates. Then the game started and it was all about beating the Reds, which the Nats couldn't do as they dropped the opener 2-1, a game in which Max Scherzer struck out seven and only allowed two runs on two solo home runs but the Nationals' offense couldn't carry over its production from the weekend. After scoring 22 combined runs against the Orioles, it was disappointing to see them only score one run on Tuesday night. Nonetheless, against a pitching staff that coming into that game had allowed the most runs in the National League. Max took the loss to fall to 4-3. Tyler Malley earned the win and Lucas Sims the save for the Reds. Two runs, six hits, zero errors for Cincinnati. One run, four hits, one error for Washington. The only run scored for the Nationals was Josh Bell's solo home run in the ninth. That's also significant because it was Josh's first homer batting right-handed on the season, so hopefully he can get it going from the other side of the plate when he's typically batting left-handed. The rest of the Nats' base runners came off singles and walks, and they would leave four men on base and never got a runner into scoring position on Tuesday night. And this stat from Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com, Max has allowed two or fewer runs and eight starts this season. The Nationals are 5-3 and three in those games, which of course isn't terrible. It's a positive winning percentage. But in those outings for Max, you figured you could go at least 7-1, and one, especially against this poor pitching staff in the Reds, and especially when it's Max on the mound pitching like he did, striking out 9. The Nats did get strong performances, however, from Sam Clay and Wander Suero out of the bullpen, so that might be one small positive to take out of Tuesday night. Game two would be a long and wacky affair with a little bit of everything going on. The game started Wednesday night, but would have to be paused in the middle of the fourth inning due to rain and then continued Thursday afternoon before that night's regularly scheduled series finale. And like I said, this game had a little bit of everything. Pitchers hitting, a long rain delay, a streaker in the rain. You know, baseball stuff. Uh, so to recap Wednesday's portion of the game, Joe Ross took the mound to make his ninth start of the season. He needed a strong start to boost his case to stay in the rotation with Eric Fetty nearing his return from the COVID IL. So it was a shame that Ross's outing was cut short due to the rain because he was pitching pretty well to start this one and he even got an early lead from the offense. The Nationals were able to get to red starter Jeff Hoffman with a uh, Starling Castro RBI single and then an Alex Avila bases loaded walk for a 2-0 lead. Hoffman would end up leaving the game in the second with a right shoulder soreness issue. 
Uh, and then in the third, Joe Ross would help his own cause with an RBI single to make it a 3-0 Nats lead, all three runs, scoring with two outs. Then after the top of the fourth inning, Ross had completed four scoreless, only allowing three hits and striking out four. Then came the rain to cut his outing short and suspend the game until Thursday afternoon. And during the rain delay, the fans who uh, stuck around Nats Park were treated to a show from a streaker on the field. Yes, fully nude, uh, who turned the Skittles tarp on the field into his own personal slip and slide. And they, uh, he, of course, was chased down by uh, the Nats Park security and the grounds crew. He tried to hide from them in the tube that the grounds crew rolls the, the rain tarp up onto. Uh, he, of course, was caught and then escorted out of the stadium, hopefully with his clothes. Um, and, of course, that video went instantly viral on Twitter. Uh, if you haven't seen them or seen the pictures from his little uh, parade around uh, the field at Nationals Park, be sure to go find them. I'm pretty sure they're they're safe for work and uh, I'm kind of funny to watch. 17 and a half hours later, we were right back on the field at Nats Park for a beautiful afternoon and the conclusion of Wednesday night's game. Restarting in the bottom of the fourth, the Nats were up 3-0, Juan Soto was at bat, and then in the bottom of the frame, Austin Voth replaced Joe Ross on the mound. Voth was able to give Davey Martinez two scoreless innings on 36 pitches to restart the game, and then Trey Turner and Josh Bell were able to extend the Nats' lead to 5-0 on RBI singles in the sixth inning. Then the rest of the game was handed to the back end of the bullpen. First up was Kyle Finnegan, who threw a scoreless inning. Then it was Tanner Rainey, who was activated off the COVID IL before the game restarted. A weird roster rule uh, with suspended games and the COVID injured list, but Rainey ran into trouble almost immediately. He didn't retire any of the three batters he faced, giving up three straight singles, all three batters eventually scoring. His ERA inflated to almost nine and a half on the season. After the game, Davey Martinez attributing Rainey's rough outing to uh, him being overamped, being back with the team as he was throwing in the high 90s but had no command of his pitches. That forced Davey's hand and he had to call in Daniel Hudson to clean up the mess with the Reds cutting the Nats lead to 5-3. Hudson did exactly that, and then Brad Hand closed out the victory in the ninth to even the series at one game apiece. Voth became the pitcher of record, earning his first win of the season. Wednesday night's starter Jeff Hoffman took the loss, and Brad Hand earned his eighth save of the season. Three runs, 11 hits, one error for the Reds. Five runs, eight hits, zero errors for the Nats. Another day, or I guess two days, in which everyone in the Nats lineup got a hit except for one. That one guy was Alex Avila, uh, but everyone else got a knock, including Joe Ross and and pinch hitter Luis Garcia in his first appearance since taking uh, the injured Victor Robles' roster spot. Garcia hit his first major league triple down the right field line. An impressive swing from the young guy. I'm really interested to see what Luis Garcia becomes. I think he's a very exciting piece coming up in the Nationals organization. We know that he models his game after Juan Soto. That's, of course, not a bad person to kind of imitate your game after. So, uh, you know, with uh, the minor leagues kind of struggling for the Nationals, Luis Garcia could be a bright spot coming up. And uh, if he gets some more playing time, whether it is up at the Nationals or uh, down at AAA Rochester, uh, he's an interesting piece. So I'm excited to see what Luis Garcia becomes. Um, as his career moves forward. So because Wednesday's game had to be finished on Thursday afternoon, doubleheader rules were in place for the series finale on Thursday night, meaning a seven-inning game. Each team was allowed a 27th man on the roster. The Nats chose Kyle McGowan, who was officially optioned to AAA before the restart that afternoon to make room for Tanner Rainey, but he just stuck around uh, for the nightcap and was made the 27th man before uh, the night game, which uh, Steven Strasburg was able to make his originally scheduled start for. 
He started a seven-inning game back at the start of the season against the Braves and during the first series of the season, you know, that delay after the COVID issue. But this one wasn't as great for Strasburg, who gave up a leadoff home run to Eugenio Suarez right off the bat on the fifth pitch of the game. Strasburg wasn't able to fool the Reds hitters early on with his fastball, so he switched to using his curveball a little more, and that proved to be way more effective. And he went on to retire nine in a row and 13 out of 14 batters during a stretch in which he used his curveball 40% of the time. But then he ran into some bad luck in the fifth inning. The Reds recorded three hits in the fifth. One came on Sonny Gray's comebacker that deflected off Strasburg's foot. Another came on Jesse Winker's grounder up the middle that deflected off the second base bag and went past Trey Turner, who was in position to make the play to get out of the inning. And then the third was a double by Tyler Naquin that barely landed in fair territory down the left field line and gave the Reds a 3-0 lead after the inning. Offensively, the Nats were getting nothing off Sonny Gray, who pitched six innings in which the Nats managed only two singles and a walk, with only three fair balls reaching the outfield. Lucas Sims came on to close out the 3-0 win in the seventh to seal the series win for Cincy. Gray earned his first win of the season, Strasburg fell to 1-2, and two, and Sims earned his third save, two of which he earned this week against the Nats. Three runs, six hits, zero errors for the Reds, zero runs, two hits, one error for the Nationals. So the Nats gave up three runs in every game of this series, yet lost two of three, and the offense is just not as going like we had hoped, especially when they get strong pitching performances. They should be able to back some of those pitching performances up with some runs. Um, frustrating time for the Nationals' offense. Uh, And for those keeping track at home, Sean Doolittle in his return to Nats Park did not make an appearance in this series. So maybe the Nats won't have to face their former closer until the end of September when they go to Cincinnati. The Nats are now 21 and 25 on the season, four games out of first place in the division behind the New York Mets and conclude this long home stand with three games against the Brewers over Memorial Day weekend. Let's take a look at the opposite dugout. The Milwaukee Brewers are managed by Craig Council in his seventh season. They finished 29-31 and last year, fourth in the National League Central. Currently, they're 25-25 and on the season, third in the division, two and a half games back of the Cubs and Cardinals, though St. Louis still has a game to play against Arizona at the time of this recording. Uh, over the last 10 games, the Brewers are 5-5, five and five, but they have lost nine of their last 15 games. And, of course, this is their first matchup against the Nationals this season. And since they did not play last year, this is their first meeting since the 2019 National League wildcard game at Nats Park. Even though that season, during the regular season, the Nash, uh, the Brewers rather won the season series that year 4-2. to two. Pitching probables for this holiday weekend. Friday night's opener will be a matchup of Southpaws as left-hander Brett Anderson will face left-hander John Lester, a 7.05 start on Masson. Then on Saturday, a nationally televised game, 7.15 on Fox. Freddie Peralta, a right-hander, will take on Patrick Corbin. Again, that game will be on Fox. And then on Sunday, a matchup of aces. What a showdown for this holiday weekend. Right-hander Brandon Woodruff will take on Max Scherzer back on Masson at 105. The Brewers are, of course, looking to get back to the postseason for the first time since that wild card loss to the Nationals. And they got off to a hot start this season, finding themselves five games above 500 and in first place in their division through May 3rd. But they have fallen back to a 500 record and slid down to third place over the last couple of weeks, going 8-13 and since. 
This Brewers lineup is home to one of the worst offenses in baseball, ranking near the bottom of the sport in on-base percentage and slugging and posting the worst average in the National League. Christian Yelich is, of course, the big name to look out for in this lineup. He's been dealing with some injury issues over the past couple of seasons, however, especially since fracturing his right kneecap that ended that 2019 campaign. The former MVP has made two separate stints on the injured list so far this season, both while dealing with back issues, missing a total of 27 games. In the 18 games he has played, Yelich is hitting 250 with one homer and four RBIs. Outfielder Avisail Garcia leads the team with eight home runs and 25 RBIs and is hitting 252 on the season. Old division foe Colton Wong is now with the Brewers, hitting a respectable 273, but not posting any major power numbers. And Willie Adamas was just traded over from the Rays with reliever Trevor Richards for a couple of pitcher. Adamas is only hitting 217 on the season, but just hit his first home run as a Brewer on Thursday, a three-run shot against the Padres to go along with a four-hit, four-RBI day. The Brewers' pitching staff is much better than their offense, and the first starter out of the gate this weekend will be 13-year veteran left-hander Brett Anderson, who has one really good start against the Pirates this year, and the rest of his outings are pretty mediocre to bad for the most part. He's coming off allowing two runs and five inning against the Reds for a 434 ERA, and his only start against the Nationals in his career, he got roughed up for seven runs and five innings back in 2015. Right-hander Freddy Peralta is a 25-year-old that has seen some time as a reliever and as a starter of his career. His first appearance this season was out of the bullpen, but has since been a starter ever since to the tune of a 254 ERA and one bad outing against the Phillies and one start in which he gave up three runs to the Pirates have been the only outliers as he's given up two runs or less in the rest of his outings. Uh, But he has been roughed up by the Nationals in his career, giving up 11 runs and 11 innings over three appearances against the Nationals. And Sunday's game should be a pitcher's showdown as Brandon Woodruff faces Max Scherzer and it's going to be a rematch of the starters from that 2019 NL wildcard game. In that game, Woodruff gave up just one run in four innings while Max gave up three over five and struck out six. Now, 2021, this season, Woodruff owns the second best ERA in baseball at 141, only behind uh, Jacob deGrom, of course, with the Mets. Uh, He has shown his absolute dominance this season, Woodruff has. Since giving up three runs over four innings on opening day, Woodruff has allowed more than a single run only one other time over nine starts, while also completing at least six innings in each start over that stretch, and he's completed at least seven innings over his last three outings. And aside from the wildcard game, he's had great success against the Nationals, going 2-0 with a 0.96 ERA in four appearances, two starts against Washington. This Brewers bullpen isn't what we've come to expect out of Milwaukee over the past couple of years, only posting a 4.72 ERA to rank in the lower third of the majors this season. But I wouldn't think that would deter Craig Council from playing matchups like he usually does. Plus, he's got one of the best closers in baseball in Josh Hader, who's a perfect 11-for-11 in save chances this season with an ERA under 1 and 34 strikeouts. And he's also got Devin Williams, who was the National League Rookie of the Year last year, though his ERA is over 3.5 with 27 Ks. Nats Park is still expected to be at 36% capacity for the rest of this homestand. That's roughly 14,500 people allowed in the stadium. Hopefully, you can get out to the ballpark this holiday weekend and the weather holds up for some uh, baseball fun. Uh, Less streaking, more baseball, please. That's going to do it for this series recap. Be sure to tune into the Brewer Series this weekend on Masson. And don't forget, Saturday's game is a nationally televised game on Fox at 715. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode on the Masson All Access podcast. Be sure to follow and 
and subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. You can also check out our live podcast episode, myself and Amy Jennings, on Wednesday on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at Masson Nationals across the board there. And of course, Mark Zuckerman has you covered on MassInSports.com. And you can give me a follow on Twitter at Bobby underscore Blanco. Just so you know, with Memorial Day weekend here, there will not be a recap episode of this Brewer series as I'm taking some time off for the holiday. So the next episode of our series recaps will drop next Thursday night, maybe Friday morning, recapping uh, the upcoming Braves series on the road and looking ahead to the following weekend series in Philadelphia. Until then, enjoy the games, enjoy the long weekend, and we'll talk to you later. We'll be right back. 